The following program is underwritten in part by Schmidt's Naturals. Smell seriously amazing and support animal conservation with Schmidt's special edition Lily of the Valley Natural Deodorant. Created in collaboration with the Jane Goodall Institute, 5% of each purchase goes to animals in the wild. Learn more and pick up your stick now at schmitz.com. The following program is also underwritten in part by... My dog Annie recently broke her leg. Thankfully, she's protected by Embrace Pet Insurance. Embrace offers one simple plan for unexpected accidents and illnesses. To learn more, visit EmbracePetInsurance.com. Policies underwritten by a licensed insurer of American Modern Insurance Group. Coverage subject to policy terms and conditions. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Uh, Was this thing on when it cleared my throat? (laughs) It is Animal Radio. We are celebrating the connection with your pets. You can call us toll-free, 1-866-405-8405. We're all just a little... uh, discombobulated we've all just run into the studio just now and dr debbie running in from a uh, what was it a bird grooming you still have feathers on you I, yeah. do i see my feathers are all flitter here yes um yeah my good friend um has an eclectus parrot um i think you've seen photos of me with kiwi sitting on my head yes i have yes he's a beautiful bird uh, like iridescent green with a, what i call the candy corn beak so he's got a kind of yellow and orange beak that resembles a piece of candy corn <laughs> so he is just a startling, beautiful fella. And so, yeah, he comes in to see me from time to time. What so. does it take to groom him? Well, that, it all depends on what a particular owner wants. But a lot of birds, um, their nails will need to be trimmed down. So we use a Dremel. So we use a little kind of grinding tool to grind down his nails so they're more comfortable so that when he kind of you know walks all over his humans, then uh, he doesn't hurt them. And then his beak does have a tendency to grow out um, and kind of overgrow. So we do trim that back for him so he can eat consistently and uh and be more comfortable with that as well and then sometimes he you know he gets some wing trimming too but um most he, of it is uh nail and beak related work <laughs> he's all cool with that he lets you do that the drummel you know all? he he talks to me but we've been doing this for i don't know a decade or more so um yeah in in birds don't love to be restrained that's the thing that you know most pet owners are like oh he'll bite you know any bird will bite when you try to like put a grinding tool to their beak or their foot. Oh, so, um, so we do the use Dremel on their beak too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but yeah, you know, me, I can't operate a piece of machinery around the house <laughs> to make anything like home repair, <laughs> keep the drills away from me, but I Dremel, uh, you know, animal nails. So that's my limitation on uh, power tools there. <laughs> okay. If you want to talk to Dr. Debbie, she Dremels like nobody's business, <laughs> whether it's your parrot or your cat, your dog, whatever animal you have, toll free 1-866-405-8405, or you can ask from the free animal radio app for iPhone, Android, and Blackberry. And at the bottom of the hour, we check the animal news. Miss Lori Brooks, what do you have coming up? Well, there was an article recently in a veterinary magazine that was published about CBD oil. And some of the vets got really upset about it, saying, hey, wait a second. So we're going to tell you what their rebuttal was to this list of the supposed latest, greatest, as you would say, how CBD oils for your pets and uh, what the experts have to say about that. Okay, that is on the way. First, it's about you, and uh, we'll, we'll get to all these lines, so hang tight. If it's ringing, just keep letting it ring. Hey there. How you doing, Glenn? I'm just fine, just fine. What's going on with your animals? You have a dog or a cat? <clears throat> no, I've just got a dog. 
big old Jake. What's wrong with Jake? And, you know, it just started out. He, he was always hungry, and he's huge. So we found out he had a thyroid problem. So we put him on thyroid medicine. Then all of a sudden, he just started losing weight like it was just falling off of him. I'm not talking about like two and a half, three weeks. And then he started drinking a lot of water. I thought, that ain't right. <clears throat> Something's wrong. So took him back. Guess what? He's diabetic. So now he's taking 25 units twice a day of insulin. Okay. And uh, right. his weight has seemed to uh, level off at about 88 to 90. His water consumption's down. But then he started getting this growth around his penis. And I thought, you know how some dogs have those knots at the base where they, they copulate, they, they get big or right. whatever. I thought uh-huh. that's what it was. <clears throat> well, honey, it's as big as a grapefruit now. Ooh. Mm, okay. it's, it's real soft and spongy. He's got one on his left hip. Okay. He's got one on his, a small one on his chest. He's got a small one on his ear. Now, when he was about a year old, he got shot. Uh, some duck dickhead shot him with a gun, and he has he's still got 50, 50 to 52 pellets still in his body wow. in the lower half from his lungs back to his rear. Now, I don't know if his body is starting to grow fatty bodies around some of the pellets or what's going on. But anyway, we got him straight, got all that going on, and now... He those he's starting he'll cough once in a while and go, Ugh, and I mean it's like he's trying to clear his throat. Okay. And then the thing that's got me concerned the most is if he's laying down, he's not comfortable. Then he moves over to another place and he lays down. Then he'll get up and move again. He'll get up and move again. And then every time he moves and sort of rolls around, he moans and groans. Mm, okay. And he's starting mm-hmm. to moan and groan more often. And Okay. And, I, and then I told my mother, I said, look at him. He ain't been outside, and he's sitting there panting. So usually when an animal's sitting there panting, he sores or he's hurting or something's going on. I have mm-hmm. had him x-rayed, head to toe. I've had his blood drawn. Uh, I, I've spent about three to four grand on that dog this year. I don't oh, know golly. what to do. And I, okay. I just feel like something is not right. And I, and I don't want to not do something and then find mm-hmm. out, oh, well, had you done this earlier, you know, he'd be okay. So okay. I'll tell you something else he's never done. He now sleeps on his back. When he does get comfortable, he seems to roll flat over on his back, throw his legs straight up in the air, mm-hmm. and he'll lay like, you know, <laughs> sprawled out that way. And he's never done that. He didn't do it as a pup, and uh, okay. he just started doing that recently. If he All right. Talk, Glenn, Glenn, I, I want to ask out. you some, Glenn, I want to ask you some questions about his breathing. Does he do coughing or does he make any kind of loud sounds while he's actually taking air in or out? The only thing he does, like I um, said a minute ago, and he only does it, I don't know, once, maybe twice a day, and he doesn't do it constantly in a row. He'll do it like once and he'll go, Ugh! and it's like a real deep guttural grunt. And it's okay. like he's trying to clear his throat. Sometimes okay. I notice it after he drinks water, and sometimes mm, I notice okay. it when Mama gives him one of them dry-ass milk bones she gives him once in a while. Yeah, and you know you got a you got a lot of kind of oddities going on, and the general thing that that I think that you know I can answer for you is that when we have a pet that is uncomfortable, seems restless, is vocalizing in any way, and their behaviors are changed in a pattern that they're not normally done, to me that says there's something going on, and whether it's pain, discomfort, or feeling ill at ease, there's there's something that he's telling us that is going on. The first thing I would want to do is you know make sure that our diabetes is well 
controlled. And, you know, we do that by checking things like uh, a blood sugar curve and a test called fructosamine and, and making sure that that's all up to par. But assuming that everything is okay with his diabetes, there's still other things that we would be on the watch for. So whether we're dealing with something of a pain, arthritic pain, um, we also can see some problems in, in Labradors particularly where they can have a condition called laryngeal paralysis. And that can affect their um, swallowing and breathing, and it can cause them to have some uh, harsh sounds. And sometimes they'll actually even kind of, I don't want to say choke or gag on things, but it can kind That's of sound. Okay. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Twice once in a blue moon, he'll, and it's, yeah. I mean, hell, it sounds like a human. Yeah. So that might be something to raise that question with your veterinarian and say, hey, you know, um, you know, for me, I'd like to, you know, look at the chest x-rays, make sure we don't see any evidence of any infection that might be setting in because we have problems swallowing. And, and pets with that condition can actually um, get food and water into their lungs and get pneumonia. So it is something that we would want to try to, you know, figure out if that is on the table or not. Um, beyond that, you know, you mentioned some things with uh, lumps and bumps and especially if we've got some sizable ones, they would be things that I would look into and make sure they have been sampled. If they are like the typical Labrador problems, they are, Labradors are little fat factories and they are prone to getting some uh, pretty extensive what we call lipomas. Um, so they can get as big as a basketball, believe it or not. But the important thing is, you know, have your veterinarian check that and see if that is the case. Um, if it's not, then that could be part of our problem as far as with his discomfort or having other effects elsewhere in the body from, you know, those those larger lumps and masses that he's having. Um, well, the little one, I, I'm not going to worry about that much, but that one back here by his penis, and I mean, when he's laying on his back flat out, you can take both your hands and reach down there and hold it almost like a grapefruit. Wow. Yeah. And that, well, that has got bigger, and I'm thinking... Should I have, I don't like a dog, I don't like any animal cut off, unless it's absolutely necessary. And I'm just at the point, should I have that removed or not? Uh, okay, Glenn, I'm going to tell you, if you walk into my office with something the size of a grapefruit dangling off your dog, I'm going to at least want to test it. So, you know, before you jump into the idea of surgery, I'd say, you know, ask your veterinarian to just do a needle biopsy on it and get an idea of what it is. And that can be done I'm without thinking, anesthesia. Yep, a needle I've biopsy. I've done all that. I said, stick a needle in every damn one of these lumps. You did, okay. They're just they're just fatty bodies. Okay, so if they're just fatty tumors, they're not gonna hurt them. But I just, I've had a bunch of dogs. This is my fourth lab, and I've never had any problems like this. Oh golly, uh, it sounds like at his young age, he's already got quite a bit going on there. So yeah, he's. It all started out years. He's allergic to chicken. He's allergic to some grasses, and some other stuff. Holy cow. And um, he's a hell of a dog. He was raised for special needs and autistic children. He's, he's, his vocabulary is unbelievable when it comes to dogs. I mean, his vocabulary is way up there mm-hmm. as far as go get this, go get that, go do this, don't do that. You're like, damn. My mother said if he could talk, I believe he'd talk to you. Aww. But, <laughs> oh, but, gosh. Uh, I don't know. I'm just concerned. I, I just, and I, my so, last yeah. two labs, he died of cancer. So I quit doing the heartworm pills. The only thing I give him is next guard for fleas. I don't. I did some research on all this crap dumping in these dogs, and 
Well, I'm not going to advocate anybody stop their heartworm preventative um, because heartworm disease is fatal, and that that in itself um, is a killer. Um, And I I can't tell you how many animals are positive in certain parts of the country at any given moment, and it is a very real disease. So you do want to make sure you do something for heartworm preventative. Um, So that's a totally different subject. We won't go there. But I would definitely say for you, Glenn, that I would advise, you know, asking about the laryngeal uh, paralysis situation and then just really have a heart to heart about you know what kind of pain management um, do we need to kind of consider for him for the long term toll free 1-866-405-8405 to reach out to dr debbie you're listening to animal radio call the dream team now at 1-866-405-8405 hi randy travis here and you're listening to animal radio the black cloud sound dot af1 headsets have a built-in FM receiver with dual dynamic drivers and customizable EQ and sound effect settings. They're capable of delivering beautiful sound. You can also tune directly to any FM radio station without internet access. Visit www.blacklood.com. Create your account and order Sound.AF1 by inputting the radio station coupon code Animal Radio to get the special 10% off discount. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. If you just tuned in, what great timing you have. Next hour, we're going to talk to honeybee hobbyist Dr. Norman Gary. He actually has wrangled bees for television and movies. He, how do you train them or what? You know, we're going to have to ask him. Apparently, there is a method to his madness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He seems like a very entertaining guy, worth the wait, so stick around for that. Also, this hour, Anna Skaya will be joining us. She works at a company. I think she actually founded a company called Base Paws, and it's the world's first ever cat DNA test. If you have a cat and you would like to get your cat's DNA tested, we'll tell you why you should, and we'll actually give out a test. Awesome. Towards the end of the hour. It's about time. It is about time. And we're going to go to the phones in just a couple of seconds where it's also about time. And then in about 10 minutes, we're going to do a check of the news with Miss Lori Brooks. What do you have for this hour? Well, I've got an interesting story um, from what you would think is a trusted medical source about CBD oh, products no. for your pets. Yeah. So we're going to talk with Dr. Debbie about this this article that some veterinarians went, hey, wait, I, you know, I, I don't agree with that. So okay. we're, we're going to find out more this cbd stuff just will not go away it's only and it's getting, so confusing it is confusing so more details on the way will either give you information or just confuse you more the more you know okay let's the go more to the you know you don't know one 405 8405 hi kathy hi i understand you want to talk to dr debbie so i'm not going to waste any time she's right here okay, well, hi thanks. there Hi, how you doing? I'm doing super. What kind of pet question you got today for me? Well, I hope you can answer this for me because I've had my little doggy to the vet, and um, she's been um, spaded and everything. The problem I'm having with her is she looks like she's been teeth. Um, the mm. vet um, took some tests on her. It's not cancer. Um and her her little brows backed by her private parts are all swollen up too. And okay. do you know what could cause this? 
Well, yeah, a couple of different things, but I got a couple of questions for you there first. Um, now, you said she was spayed. How old was she when she was spayed? She was probably about three to four months. Okay. And with the current signs that she's doing right now, how long has that been going on? Well, okay, when I took her to the vet, it had been going on about a week. And okay. the vet said to wait three weeks. Well, I, I waited three weeks. The swelling in her private parts have gone down just a little bit, but not much. And she licks herself a lot like she's in Okay. All righty. There's, there's two big categories for a young dog that has been spayed, that's having signs of being in heat, where their breast tissue, their nipples are getting big, the vaginal area is swelling. If we're seeing that in an older dog, I start talking about a lot of other health conditions, tumors, adrenal gland problems. But in a young dog, there's two categories that I would look at. One would be the possibility that we could have some extra ovarian tissue somewhere still in her abdomen. Sometimes it happens as a kind of a freaky occurrence where there's extra tissue somewhere. Sometimes it happens because there's a little bit left behind um, when the pet is spayed. And if that still is behind, that tissue produces those same hormones of when they're in heat, and we can see those same changes externally as a response to that. So that is a possibility. The other possibility, which increasingly is on our minds now, is that women who use hormone replacement therapy for their menopause signs, there's a lot of different forms that are in use, sprays, gels, different topical creams. When a woman is using those in the household and they have animals, there is the potential by casual contact alone that that can affect the pet and it can actually create signs of being in heat. Um, believe it or not, male dogs can even have some issues as well. So um, I would definitely want to ask you as far as if there's any possibility anyone in the home is using any of those kind of products. Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Okay. And because that is definitely one that I can tell you, I've done extensive testing on pets to try to figure out the cause of uh, reoccurrence of heat signs. And a lot of times that is just the... That seems uh, to be making the news a lot recently about it that. It really is. It really is. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be that a dog licks it off the area that's treated. This is just casual contact from the woman who's got it on her skin and hmm. just touching the pet or uh, having the pet even cuddle with her. So... So, yeah, something to keep on your radar, ladies, if you use that. Now, in your situation, if we don't feel that there's any possible uh, hormone replacement um, issue in the household, then I might really say let's let's talk about watching to see if, if this is a true heat cycle. Pets who have ovarian remnants, the little bits of ovary, ovarian tissue still behind, if they go into cycles, they tend to have actual heat cycles. So it may be present like it normally would for heat, go away, and then come back again six months later. If you have that type of cycle, that's pretty indicative in my mind that we need to go in and explore and look and see if there's any ovarian tissue still inside there. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, your vet may be able to, if they're the ones who perform this surgery, you know, they may be the best to ask about that. Um, but in my office, if that ever happens, that's something that I definitely would, um, you know, entertain that possibility. We're all human, and, you know, those kind of things can happen, as well as some weird situations I've had where pets have had um, extra ovarian tissue um, that's actually in other areas of the abdomen. So um, if your pet's showing signs right now, that's definitely something that that's the time to address that and to actually go in and explore. 
Wow. The heat cycle is every six months is what you're telling me? Am I learning something new? No, I think you're just listening now, Hal. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this Healthy Serving of Animal Radio is brought to you by the grain-free Red Barn Naturals canned food for dogs and cats. Always made in the USA with natural, functional ingredients that support your pet's optimal health. You can learn more at redbarninc.com. And thanks, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. That's my dog, Annie. She's healthy now, but recently she broke her leg and I had to rush her to the vet. Thankfully, she's protected by Embrace Pet Insurance. They covered her surgery and reimbursed the claim quickly. Embrace offers one simple plan for unexpected accidents and illnesses that you can personalize to fit your budget. To learn more, visit EmbracePetInsurance.com to get a free quote. Policies underwritten by a licensed insurer of American Modern Insurance Group. Coverage subject to policy terms and conditions. Visit EmbracePetInsurance.com for coverage details. Hi, this is Maya Bialik on Animal Radio. Please adopt a pet. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. In England, a, a woman who climbed a tree to rescue her cat... Well, she ended up having to be saved by firefighters herself because she also became stuck in the tree. Uh, So she's up in the tree. Good thing she had her phone with her because she called her husband who was at work. And, you know, he comes home, races home. Can you imagine that phone call? Uh, honey, yes, dear. What's up? I'm I'm stuck in a tree. Can't this wait, honey? I love Lucy. So he calls the fire department and she was stuck in that tree. For 45 minutes, between 12 and 15 feet up in the tree, a little bit higher than you'd want to jump down. So 45 minutes later, firefighters eventually get there, and they help her down with the ladder. Uh, She said she was trying to get to her cat, Harry, who had been missing for three days. And then she finally heard these really faint meows, and it came from a neighbor's tree. So, you know, here is your cat that you haven't seen and you thought was missing. And luckily, she was in her young 30s, so she raced up the tree and got stuck. But uh, she had adopted Harry less than two months before that happened. So I think they're bonded forever now. So wait a minute. Did Harry get down, too? Did the firefighters save Harry? Firefighters saved Harry. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) That's a good story forever, though, isn't it? Sure. Uh, The website for the magazine American Veterinarian Uh, recently reported on and shared Rave.com's list of the best CBD oils for pets. Um, However, when they published this, not all of the vets who read this site or magazine agreed with them. And and truthfully, they thought the article was, was lacking and kind of irresponsible in many ways. So they allowed a rebuttal article from this prominent veterinary CBD expert who said that he would indeed recommend some of the products that were on that list, but he said that pet parents need to be really cautious. You can't just go by a list, and especially a list that is not compiled by a veterinary professional. So here are his tips when considering CBD products for your pets. And uh, we've talked about this before, but it's so important. And if you know a friend who is... Uh, maybe considering CBD for the pet, this is something you want to remember and share with them. Any company selling CBD products should be able to provide a COA or a certificate of analysis for each product that they sell. And when uh, requesting a COA, ask whether it is for the raw extract or for the finished product, because for the finished product is what you're going to be using on your pet. 
And, of course, the most important COA comes from, yes, the final product with a batch number on it that matches the product that you purchased. And if a company refuses to provide you with a certificate of analysis, walk away. You may be getting, you know, if they're not going to provide it to you, you're probably getting something substandard or something maybe too potent that could really do harm. Uh, The number two thing he said, the important things to look for in that certificate of analysis, the cannabinoid profile, which tells you the amount and concentration of each of the different cannabinoids that are found in that product. The elemental analysis on it will tell you if there were any heavy metals that were present in the product. Also, a pesticide and fungicide analysis should be on there because it's going to tell you if there's any toxic chemicals. And also, the final one, a bacterial, microbe, and mycotoxin testing should be on, the results of it should be on that certificate of analysis because it indicates whether the product has any bacteria or pathogens that could make your pet really sick. And it's also very important to understand whether the product is federally legal hemp or a federally illegal marijuana-based product because those products require extreme caution when you're dosing them because they could contain potentially higher levels of THC. That's the molecule that gets you high. And Dr. Debbie, THC toxicity can happen in animals, right? Oh, it sure can, yeah. There's there's so much to know about Batty. There really is. And the thing that I think that's so frustrating being in the veterinary world is that there are so many of these different products that are out there. And just because they have a pretty picture of an animal on it and they say for pets doesn't mean it's been something that's thoroughly been vetted, if you will. So in, in the important lesson is we really do not have anyone that oversees the safety of it. So the COAs are a great idea, but there is no um, body that any of these companies have to report to to say, I'm following the rules. So it really is the buyer beware. And, um, you know, this whole list and the sharing of the list is just silly. It's like, you know, me putting a list out saying, you know, my favorite right. uh, state to travel in. And and I've only <laughs> been to some states. You know, it's ridiculous. They really didn't look at the, the veterinary research that's undergoing at a couple of the vet schools. And uh, so, sorry. Well, you can get me going on no, this. No, no, no. no. <laughs> well, I want to talk about this because after reading it, um, another thing that he said, and I want to get your input on this, is um, he said that none of the companies – cited by the rave reviews as being the best, conducted any uh, scientific studies to verify all of this information. And he added that the rave reviews glaringly ignored, and we talk about these all the time, those two critical studies in dogs that were done at Colorado State and Cornell Universities, saying both universities, if you haven't heard about these, they used a product that is uh, with a very specific, shall we say, CBD and terpene profile. And it, the product that was tested, I went around and found it. It's called LVET Mobility. When you hear that, you know, the dog is helped by CBD, it's because of these studies at Colorado State and Cornell. But those studies used this LVET product. Have you tried that, Dr. Debbie? 
No, I, 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 you know, as as a veterinarian, you know, we cannot prescribe a federally illegal drug, and that is the problem. That until um, there can be some federal oversight on a body that can oversee this and to slap the hand of people that are doing things wrong. Um, and then to have testing and validation, that is what, you know, is really in the infancy right now with these particular veterinary schools. And until there's that outside agency that can do the testing, then the companies can then submit products. But unless, you know, it, the testing isn't open to the general markets. Um, yeah. So that that's really, it's, you know, it, we're at a kind of standstill because of the legislation and the... Sure. So as a vet, you're really not allowed to uh, uh, prescribe it or suggest the use of it, but you can answer questions about it. Is that what I'm to understand? Um, yeah, with limitations. So you know, I can no more prescribe CBD for a pet than I can cocaine. Um, mm. It's you know, in the eyes of the federal government, they are both. Um, different scheduled drugs that um, have no deemed medical basis of any value. So until that kind of uh, statement gets changed, um, veterinarians will be in this kind of precarious position where we'd you know, love to help people with different um, opportunities and different products, but we really, until we see the testing and the standardization, you know, it, it's, it's walking a fine line. Yeah, well, so now there are vets that do prescribe this. They are practicing illegally. Is that correct? Um, as, as far as uh, we cannot sell the products in our office, and in some states like in California, they can certainly talk about it if the topic is brought up to them. How they dance around that, I, I honestly don't know, um, but it, it isn't something that is supposed to be discussed um, voluntarily on the veterinary side, okay. at least in, in my state. Well, you know, like you said, Dr. Debbie, you, you want to help people and you want to give them answers. So my thinking on this was that if this one product, um, Elvet Mobility, not a sponsor. I just thought that, no, it's not a sponsor, and I've never even talked to them. But I'm, I love to research this stuff because if I'm going to give something to my pet, I'm going to give them the best. And there's so many people out there who are already giving CBD. It, it seems to me that this is the only product that has been tested. Wow. It mean, is, is currently that, is being that, tested. It's currently being tested. So um, I think that's still the answers are still in the works on that. Dr. Welcome Debbie, to the confusing you. world of CBD products. <laughs> yes, whenever we have these CBD discussions, we're all like, Dr. Debbie has to be here, or let's go see Dr. Debbie, because it's so confusing. And I love that you validate that for us, because, it, you know, you just think, am I ever going to learn all this? But I guess someday it will be normal. But uh, overall, the best advice, I guess, remain cautious and ask questions. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Hi, everybody. This is Lori Morgan reminding you to please spay or neuter your pets. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. A man in South Carolina jumped on the back of a 10-foot alligator to save his girlfriend's dog as it was being dragged into a lake. Brent Carey was taking a walk with his girlfriend and her dog Chance when an alligator jumped out of the water and started to drag Chance into the lake. Carey jumped on the back of the alligator and frantically wrestled Chance out of his deadly jaws. Finally, the gator gave up the little dog who ran safely to shore. 
Jessica Turner, Chance's owner, said she can't close her eyes without seeing little Chance's head in the gator's mouth. The Department of Natural Resources sternly informed Carrie that he or anyone else should never jump on the back of a 10-foot alligator. Uh, just in case you were thinking of doing it. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Find us at AnimalRadio.com. Log on, learn more. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Red Barn canned food for cats and dogs is grain and gluten free. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It is Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets, no matter what breed they are. We love them. Ultimately, it, it, to me, it doesn't matter what breed Ladybug is, what they are. But there's some things you can find out by knowing the breed. Oh, yeah. Have you ever done a, a DNA test on your dog? Uh, my dog boss, yeah, I sure did. Because we wanted to know what he was, partly for behavior, and it answered a lot of questions, and then partly also for health risks. You know, just to kind of, you know, you'll be surprised how many animal enthusiasts and veterinary professionals get it wrong. You know, we just kind of base our opinions off of hair code and body type, and it doesn't always work that way. So it, it does help to have some DNA testing. It certainly does. And we've asked these uh, in the past. We've had many DNA people on who've really uh, uh, done tests on dogs and we've asked them if they do anything on cats and they said no well there's really no genome or data bank uh, for that as of yet so this today comes across my desk the world's first ever cat dna test and we get from base paws the company that's put this together the ceo anna skaya is joining us hi anna how are you doing Hi, guys. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, by all means. So now you're doing a DNA test for cats. <laughs> I didn't realize there was so many, you know, I know there's Siamese cats and there's tortoiseshell cats. I didn't realize there was so many breeds that finding out which breed we had really made a difference. I think lady, I think uh, Nike is just like what they call them, a domestic short hair. Just a domestic short hair. Yeah. yeah. But how many right. breeds are there? Well, there's actually, depending on who you ask, of course. So there's over 60 different breeds of cat, but most of our cats, your cat and my cat, of course, are, you know, mixed breed. There's very few cats that are purebred in the world. I would, I think the last number I read is 95% are mixed breed, domestic short hair. But it does not mean that they are all the same. Domestic short hairs are, some of them are closer to some breeds than others. Okay, so I have a domestic short hair that I want to find out information about, and you have this DNA test. What is the DNA test going to tell me? Sure. So let's just take a quick step back. So cats have lived with humans for such a long time, but really haven't gone through any selective breeding until really recently. This is why it's so hard to compare what you just mentioned, dog DNA to cat DNA tests. Cats are all roughly mixed and similar to each other. So ancestry, as we know it, as we know it in dogs and humans, does not exist for cats. It only makes sense for cats that are descendant from purebred cats, which isn't the case for most of our cats. 
your cat, domestic short hair, uh, we will be able to take the DNA and compare it to a fairly large panel of purebred cats. And we can say to you, you know, your kitty is mixed breed, but it has traits on its genome. It has traits. We look at all the 19 chromosomes of the cat and we can tell you these traits match to these breeds. And your cat is closer to some breeds than others, but it by no means means ancestry. It doesn't mean it came from purebreds. It just means that it's similar to them. Mm. And what, 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 this information, how will it serve me? So knowing the breed of your cat, I think, is really important. Number one, it connects you to the cat better. You get to know it a little bit better. All of a sudden, you know, this kitty, it lives in your home. It sleeps in your bed, eats your food, and you know very little about it, especially if you adopted it from, uh, from uh, a shelter. All of a sudden, you know, it's got some traits of a minku and it's got some traits of a Persian. And ultimately, what Baseballs is doing is we want to be able to give you health recommendations and look at health markers. And like you said earlier, you know, cats, they're underfunded, understudied. We know so little about them science-wise. It's time to get to know them better. Okay, so we have a test here. And I know that, Judy, you wanted to try this on Nike, but I'd like to actually (laughs) give that to a listener to try. Do you want to do that? Okay. And so we get this kit in the mail. So how do we get the kit, first of all? So you go on our website, basepaws.com. You purchase the kit off the site. It's a very typical, your, it's your DNA standard kit. It's a cute little box. It's got a swab inside. Uh, for the first two years of the company's life, we collected DNA through fur. So we would send you these adhesive, adhesive strips of tape, and you'd put it on the cat, and you just kind of whisk it off a little bit like <laughs> waxing your kitty. As you can imagine, uh, cats are totally fine with it. Pet owners, cat parents, not fine with it. Yeah. So we've recently switched to the swab. So you just take a little swab, and you you kind of swirl it in their, in their cheek pouch. Um, and that's your DNA. Okay, so in my hand is uh, a test tube container with the cheek swab uh, sticking out, and I'm going to take this cheek swab and rub it around in, a, in my cat's mouth. Is that correct? Correct. And then I'm going to put the swab back into the test tube and shake it up. Is that correct? Yep, correct. And then I mail that to you. How long does it take from that point? So we, once we get it in our laboratory here in Los Angeles, it takes between 8 to 10 weeks for you to get your first report. And your first report will do this breakdown of the chromosomes and will give you the traits and will tell you these are the breeds that are closest to your cat. But like with any genetic test, the more data we have, the better the results we'll get. So once you participate once, remember, DNA does not change. It's the same since birth. Um, the, the reports will continue to get better and better and better. Okay, I'm going to give this one away, Judy. Toll okay. free, one 405 8405 Now, here's the caveat. If you'd like to find out what breed your cat is, we'll send this to you, but you need to uh, do the work. You need to do the, the cotton uh, little swab thingy in their mouth, so hopefully you can do that. And then you're going to have to call back and let us know what you found out from Base Paws. So that's the caveat yeah. if you want that, one 405 8405 right now. And uh, the website, again, is basepaws.com. That's spelled B-A-S-E-P-A-W-S.com. And we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Embrace Pet Insurance, providing nose-to-tail accident and illness coverage for your dog or cat. It can be customized to fit your budget and needs. Simply take your dog or cat to any vet, submit a claim form, and get reimbursed quickly. Learn more at EmbracePetInsurance.com to get a quote. And thanks, Embrace, for underwriting Animal Radio. 
You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind, and they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. The one thing I really love about this show is talking to you and talking to our guests, our expert guests, who sometimes are a little off base, wacky, or just fun altogether. And this hour, I guarantee Dr. Norman Gary, he will be a lot of fun. He is a honeybee hobbyist. He actually has a degree in apiculture, which is the scientific study and management of honeybees. Besides studying bees, he's also a musician, plays clarinet, and he has trained bees for 18 movies and television commercials and shows. Training bees. I don't know if wow. they're union bees. How do you got, do that? I have <laughs> no clue. I, you know, I know that actors, human actors, are pretty temperamental. Uh, so. <laughs> We've worked with a few, Hal, haven't we? <laughs> Can you imagine working with a bee on a set? No. Yes. He also holds a couple of Guinness World Records for bee stunts. So he's going to be a lot of fun. He'll be at the end of this hour. And between now and then, we'll talk to you at one 405 8405 And uh, you're working on news over there in the palatial Animal Radio Newsroom Studios. What do you got going on? This is kind of a different one. We'll tell you at what airports around the country you can find uh, therapy pigs roaming around or therapy miniature horses. They're therapy becoming cats. more and more common. I, I understand over a dozen major airports have them now. I've not right. yet seen and one. That's what's cool. It's it, These are not passengers therapy pets or whatever they say or claim they are. These are animals that the airport has or contracts with somebody to bring in to ease your fears and you know, anxiety about flying. So I, I would love to see the pig and the mini horses, but we'll tell you Definitely. where you can find them. <laughs> yeah. That is on the way. Let's go to line four. Pepper. What a pretty name. Pepper. Mm-hmm. But he's a schnauzer. Well, that's the person's name. Oh, it's the person? <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Well, that ruins that. Hi, Pepper. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, and I want to tell you, thank you so much for taking my call. Well, of course, with a, such a pretty name. How did you get the name Pepper? Uh, um... <laughs> I eat about five-gallon jar full of jalapeno peppers a week. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> okay. So it's not I your kidding name. See, the dog likes him, too, huh? All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, you don't have a, a regular name for the dog, do you? Well, I named him Casper because he's white. Casper. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's going on with Casper there? Well, I have two dogs. One is a Havanese and one is a Bichon, Casper. I had Casper about two years, and I was making his own sauce food, which it was ground turkey, brown rice, and I'd buy the bag of frozen vegetables and put it in there, and everything was going fine. I'm, a, I'm an over-the-road truck driver, let me tell you that first. Okay. And all of a sudden, he started getting, like, bladder infection, kidney infection, mm-hmm. one okay. right after another, right after another. 
And, I mean, it's not that I'm not taking him out and walking him. It's not that I'm not letting him walk long enough. I mean, every time I would go to the vet, it'd be like $350, $450 while they try to track this thing down. They treat it. Uh, they even went as far as to give me a prescription to take to Walgreens because he had to be on antibiotics for so long one time. Okay. And uh, then he started chewing at his paws. And his paws turned real pinkish looking, and all around his mouth were real pinkish looking. And then he got another bladder infection. I took him back to the vet. She said, well, she goes, this just isn't right. Now, this is when we were home just about every weekend. So she Mm -hmm. did some investigating, and she told me, she said, he needs to go. uh, He's got a protein, a problem assimilating protein. And we need to put him on the urinary ISO. Okay. Well, I've got him on that. But I was just wondering if there is another alternative to it. Now, this dog begs for vegetables. He <laughs> begs for vegetables. He loves vegetables. All right. Oh, listen, he loves jalapeno peppers, any kind of vegetable that you will give him. Well, hey. Now, I want to back up for a minute because you said with Casper that he was having a lot of urinary issues. Did they put him on that food because they determined he had types of bladder stones? Uh, She didn't say bladder stones. She just said that he had um, a problem assimilating protein. Okay. Just because when I hear about a a Bichon who's having problems in the urinary nature, they're a breed very prone to bladder stones, and particularly calcium uh, oxalate-based bladder stones. So one of the methods to deal with that is we will try a low-protein diet, and um, the uh, SO-type food, if that's the one that you're talking about, um, made by Royal Canin, that is appropriate for that kind of dog that has those kind of urinary issues and it is a low protein food so okay. if that's somehow related to his previous signs then I would definitely endorse that um, you know prescription basically for you and well, he hasn't had a problem since well there you go then it's doing something well, <laughs> at least I'm speculating any, well now they, they changed our, our company has changed our route and I mean sometimes it's anywhere from two to four months before we get home uh, and see. they changed it going down the road and I realize this is a prescription dog food and it's hard for me to get now I am going home next weekend and I do have a couple of cans and some dry that is going to make me get home but is there if I get in a bind is there anything else well, the trick is there's probably some things that we can use short-term or treat foods that would be appropriate for a dog on this food. But I'm going to say it's a little hard to just pick a food that we're going to be able to substitute because this is a therapeutic food. It is basically gearing the urine um, into a certain environment so we can hopefully prevent those problems. Uh, now, there are some treats that we can do. Oh, before I even get there, I was going to say, um, at least at my office and many veterinary offices around the country, they may have the option to order online for these prescription foods and to have those Uh shipped to your home. So that might be something. We do that through something called a pet portal. So my clients can have that shipped to their front door so that they don't run out of this regular food. Because um, it, it is very well, much. I mean, my bed only is only like 10 miles from me, and the problem is getting to, to my house. home city uh, okay. now that we're out here on the road. 
Okay. Well, the, the things that we would definitely want to avoid, as you mentioned, a lot of the different meat things, um, many of those we will want to avoid. The things we can right. use in a pinch for a pet that's on a, um, a diet like SO would be uh, eggs. We can use eggs or chicken, So, but we stay away from you know, a lot of the heavier meats. Um, and right. you mentioned vegetables and fruits. And so there are some fruits and vegetables we can use that are appropriate along with this diet. Um, I'll often recommend bananas, melons. Uh, green peas, uh, cauliflower, those kind of foods would be appropriate. And oh, again, it's kind of that broccoli, cabbage. <laughs> he even eats turnip greens. <laughs> oh wow! So you know, some of those foods might not be a bad thing, but I would hate for you to be out on the road and rely on those uh, food items as your main source of a diet. So, oh right. I mean, I, I, well, I'm when really I go home, I'm, I'm going to buy the large bag, the super large bag, and I'm going to put mm-hmm. about probably about. 30 pounds on the truck, so I won't be out, but it just caught me unawares this time, and yeah. You know, now, one other solution that I might recommend, um, and we use this solution for folks around us that travel, is you can ask your veterinarian for either a prescription card or a written prescription for that food. And if you're heading through another community, and if you have a written prescription for that food, you may very well be able to buy that at a veterinary office. Uh, but you can't just go in and say, hey, I need that SO food. Uh, most places will say we're not comfortable selling that to you unless we know you really need this for your pet. Um, so that might be another uh, kind of little trick to to try. Give that a shot, Pepper. 1-866-405-8405 to connect with any one of the Dream Team right now. Hi, Brenda. How are you? Hello. Where are you today? I'm in uh, New Mexico. Okay. How can we help you? I got the good doctor right here. Hi. Oh, my cat. Hello. My cat is licking her side and her hair. She's licking her hair off. Okay. Just one what side. part of her side? Just the center of it. Just about a six-inch six strip. Okay, on the like on the right or the left side of her body, or both sides? Yes, just one side. Just one side, okay. Mm-hmm. And how old again is she? She's between 12 and 14. Okay, so she's an older gal, and how's everything else with the rest of her health? Is there anything else going on currently? No, she's uh, still playful. Well, when I have an older kitty that's displaying signs of grooming in an unusual spot like this, it's a little less common that we start looking at things like allergies and skin disease. I actually start to go looking for some of the uh, more internal problems. In a lot of these cases, I can actually find that a cat might be displaying signs of pain, something going wrong internally. So I will check um, x-rays. A lot of times I'll find things like bladder stones um, or arthritis. And these type of things can cause them to groom on the surface in a way to react to some more inner pain and discomfort that they're having. So that would definitely be something that I would look at. And some older cats also with some different types of hormone problems. Uh, We can see problems with kidney disease, liver disease, diabetes, some of those where we can even see some types of skin problems and manifestations of that. So um, it would probably be something that if I had her here right now, I'd pull up my nice big uh, needle and syringe and draw some blood and get those x-rays and take a good look because um, in many cases, you know, it's kind of the kitty's way of telling us that, you know, hey, I'm not right. There's something going on inside. And uh, we definitely would want to go searching along that avenue. And uh, as far as I should also ask if she's on any medicines of any sort currently? No. No. And is she the only kitty in your household here? Uh, No, there's two other cats. And I have them on uh, uh, food for uh, urinary tract infection. And so I've just put them all on that. 
Okay, so she's not necessarily had a problem with that before then. Uh, no, that wasn't why I put them on because of her. It was another one of okay. them. Yeah, yeah. But I would say that's going to be my first thing. And then, of course, if you're in an area where we talk about fleas, um, as always, we look over the, the rump of the tail area right above the, the tail base area, and that's a common site for, site for fleas. But, you know, I just I think that she's trying to tell us something, and, um, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to go look in there and see what we can figure out from the inside out, if you will. Okay. Time for the vet, Brenda. Okay, I'll take her to the vet then. Thank you very much. Well, this sweet-smelling portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Schmidt's Naturals. Smell seriously amazing and support animal conservation with Schmidt's special edition Lily of the Valley Natural Deodorant. It was created in collaboration with the Jane Goodall Institute, and 5% of each purchase supports animals in the wild. You can learn more over at schmitz.com. And thanks, Schmitz, for underwriting Animal Radio. Something Worth Saving by Sandy Ward is a touching and funny exploration of family life as told by a highly perceptive and outspoken narrator named Lily, who happens to be a cat. Lily is a fiercely loyal friend to her human. So when things start happening in her family, she's ready to step up and prove that she may be tiny, but she's also mighty. Something Worth Saving will make you a believer in the deep connection between humans and their furry friends. Pick up a copy of Something Worth Saving today everywhere books are sold and visit sandywardbooks.com for more info. And now an animal radio news brief. I'm Stacy Cohen for Animal Radio. Well, do you ever yawn and then somebody next to you yawns? Contagious yawns may not be unique just to humans. They did a Japanese study and it was published in the journal Plaus and it shows that dogs tend to yawn after a person yawns. Researchers also found that dogs are more likely to yawn after a human if that person is their owner. The study author, Teresa Romero, says that the research shows contagious yawning in dogs is emotionally connected in a way that's similar to humans. While they weren't able to determine the exact reason that dogs mimic yawns, they were able to rule out that it was a type of distress response to seeing a strained human face. While many of the dogs repeatedly followed their owners in yawning, 14 dogs did not yawn at all. Mm. This has been an Animal Radio News Brief. Get more at animalradio.pet. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1 866 405 8405. Oh, here at Animal Radio, we hear about all kinds of animals. We hear about cats. We hear about dogs that are pets. What are those little flying monkey things? What do they call those? Uh, flying monkeys. Yeah, they're, you know, the... You, sugar glider? Yes, that's oh. it. The sh- sugar oh, glider. Oh, okay. We, <laughs> flying had, monkeys are in, like, <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Exactly. <laughs> monkeys. Well, we've had... You know what I was talking... You didn't know? I knew what Dr. you meant. Dr. I, I was Debbie. She knew. I had no clue. <laughs> we've had owners of horses, reindeer... Um, foxes, all kinds. How about bees, honeybees? We've had a few people that raise honeybees on the show. Yeah, I guess we've had in the past. There's been a few. That's a crazy, crazy career, by the way. I wonder if you could have a bee as a pet. Well, yeah. you, you might be able to. I don't know how long they live. Uh, Dr. Norman wonder. Gary will be joining us. He is. This is his. This is his shtick. Apiculture. Look it up. I, I had to look that. it up. Yeah, I didn't, I've never heard that word before. It's uh, the study of honeybees. Oh, they have their own culture word. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and this guy we're having on, in the 60s, he was a bee wrangler. 
He uh, wrangled bees for television oh. and uh, movies. How interesting. Holds a couple of Guinness World Records, and now he is 83, and he is a resident of Citrus Heights. Is that a uh, assisted living? I don't know. I don't even know where that is. is no, that a it's city? a community in Southern California. Oh, it is. Okay. Uh-huh. He says he has to get, he had to give up his hobby of beekeeping in 2015 because the equipment is too heavy to lift. But we're going to find out. I think he's still doing it. Yeah, I think once a beekeeper, always, always a, beekeeper. a beekeeper. Yeah. I thought you'd have to run fast to be a beekeeper. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know this guy's been stung. I mean, that would be a hazard of the business. Sure. He probably I hope that's not his Guinness Book of World Records. How many times he was, <laughs> he was stung? stung? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't yeah. think so. Oh, but a fun guy. We'll talk to him in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Hey, Greg, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Doing great. What's up in your world today? Oh, I'm just trying to get a hold of the doctor. Oh, she's right oh, here. Oh, I'm here. What can I do? <laughs> I don't know who I talked to this morning. It was more, it was more of a, uh, a, a big cat in the truck. A big cat like a lion or a tiger? No, 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 just a big cat. Oh, okay. Full-size cat. cat. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. yeah. He just poops everywhere in the truck. Okay, so you're traveling with your cat in, in the truck with you. Well, yeah, yeah. Didn't Who was it I talked to this morning? John, I think it was. Okay. So when you're traveling with your I like, key... I like your show. You, you guys do a hell of a job. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> I want to know a little bit about your kitty's litter box situation when you're in the truck. So what kind of situation do you have for the kitty? Hold on just a second. Just a second. Just a second, Doc. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Don't mind us. Uh-huh. What? Don't mind you. Are you, are you well, driving? Okay. Are you driving no. at, the, at this at this time? Oh, my oh yeah. God. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Be careful. Uh, Please, we I'm encourage in, you not to call us while you're driving. That's uh, That could oh, be illegal in some states. Well, I'm in Nevada, so. Oh, okay. Any, anything's Nevada. legal there. Well, I can't get the cat to come out to talk to you. Well, the cat would talk to us. Yeah. So, so is it uh, is it taking a dump in a certain place? Everywhere in the bunk. Anywhere in the bunk. Yeah. Okay. So, and and I'm assuming you have a regular litter pan somewhere for the kitty, right? Well, I'm going to throw him out in the desert. Is what I'm going to do. So no okay. is the answer to that question. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we got to give the kitty a, a suitable litter pan site because otherwise he's going to pick the most favorable site and you know. A bedded area, carpeted areas, fabrics, things like that are very appealing to cats. So I, I can't blame them. You know, that's probably the most comfortable spot to go. But what we need to do is convince them that there's better places to go and to make that spot a little bit more unfavorable for him. So I get, make sure we get a nice big litter pan, throw some litter in it, make it in a comfortable stable spot inside the cab so that you know we don't worry about it shifting with movement because that can be scary especially for cats traveling we want to make sure that that is in a stable comfortable place and then in the area where he's going in your bunk i'd say i'd have a couple remedies for you um, get some of that carpet runner um, and turn it upside down that plastic carpet runner put that over the bunk area and that's just kind of a kind way to make that an unfavorable area for him to tread um, and to hopefully not go into to defecate there's other things you can use double-sided tape there's little scat mats things like that the compressed air that goes off if he walks by it um, 
make that area unfavorable. And of course, you know, if you want them to be comfortable and move around on your bed, take those down so that they're not going to be a deterrent for them to do those activities. But we really want to make sure that litter pan is suited, it's ready, and that we make it favorable for him. So if you have to switch litter types, uh, experiment with things, I will even sometimes, for some cats, I will put a piece of uh, carpet in there. If they like going on carpet, I'll give them a piece, but I'm going to ask them to do it in the litter pan. So find what works for your kitty here and, and let's make them comfy in there. <laughs> I bet you it's that, uh, you have a, what, a Tempur-Pedic bed that they're going on? I bet you it's something soft like that, huh? Huh? Oh, what a shame we lost him. 1-866-405-8405. That's that memory phone really attractive. They think it's like kitty litter or something like that. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. The following program is underwritten in part by Schmidt's Naturals. Smell seriously amazing and support animal conservation with Schmidt's special edition Lily of the Valley Natural Deodorant. Created in collaboration with the Jane Goodall Institute, 5% of each purchase goes to animals in the wild. Learn more and pick up your stick now at schmitz.com. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. While many people enjoy the experience of traveling, not everyone loves getting on an airplane only to spend the next few hours, you know, cramped up in that tiny little space. But here is the good news, and you've probably noticed if you travel at all, With the help of therapy pets that you don't even have to own, you can be relaxed and feel more at ease before you board your flight because uh, so many U.S. airports now have their own therapy animal teams that roam the airports. For example, now San Jose International Airport. It was the first U.S. airport to use therapy dogs right after 9-11 happened, and they now have 23 dogs. The airport has these dogs who stroll around the terminals to interact with passengers. At San Francisco International Airport, there you can get rid of your pre-flight nervousness with the help of Lilu, the first airport therapy pig. And she's adorable. <laughs> Sometimes she wears a tutu, and she will help you know ease your anxiety pains. And she's also the very first pet therapy pig for airports. Uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, they have a canine crew, as they call them, that features 12 therapy dogs. Miami has introduced its airport therapy animal program just last summer, so they've got a lot over there. And in Denver, they have the Canine Airport Therapy Squad, which is also known as CATS. And you think of dogs, but they have more than 100 dogs, but also one cat named Zelly that make up their team of animal therapy friends. And I think I may have to take a trip to Cincinnati or uh, Kentucky because at the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport, their therapy animal is a miniature therapy horse, and they make visits to the airport twice a month. Mm, I could have really used one of these. I just took a five-hour flight with a screaming baby, wouldn't stop the whole way, just screaming loud, and I had lungs on it. When I got off that flight, I was so stressed. If I had seen a pig in a tutu afterwards... Everything would be okay. It would have helped. It would have helped. It would have changed everything. Yes. (laughs) Oh, the Community and Animal Rescue Fund of Mississippi. This is a sad story. I'm going to warn you. It's called CARA, Community and Animal Rescue Fund of Mississippi. Now, they reported last week that they were going to have to kill all 120 cats at their facility because of a feline virus outbreak in their cattery which is now shut down permanently. 
But I get these uh, feline viruses because there are many. It's kind of like CBD. There's a lot to know. Uh, but the virus which the cats are said to have been exposed to is called the Khaleesi virus, and it's a respiratory virus. Dr. Debbie, I, I had never heard of this before. Yeah, and yeah. Was it- and did I lead a sheltered cat life or what? Her <laughs> funny gun. Khaleesi virus is actually a very common virus, and we commonly see it in the upper respiratory type infections. So sneezing, you know, eye discharge, um, those kind of symptoms. And it's usually, and I should say, there's Khaleesi virus has been around a long time, and it isn't always a horrible thing in that um, pets can recover from it pretty readily. But there is a more aggressive form, a more virulent form that can lead to other symptoms. And those can include things that affect the other organs in the body, can cause um, vasculitis, which is kind of like a bleeding and inflammation. So pets can actually have swelling all over their body. Um, They can slough skin. And so it it can be fatal on its own in this aggressive form. Um, But the thing, yeah, it's very confusing because Khaleesi virus is actually, it's it's kind of everywhere. And if I tested cats and I took four cats, one out of four cats would actually be positive for Khaleesi virus everywhere in the U.S. It's just, okay. it's okay. out there. So it's not as simple as saying, oh my gosh, we've got Khaleesi, where'd this come from? It is out there. The virulent form is what is unusual, and it's not that common. So I don't know if that's what this situation had. I I pray to goodness that's what they were dealing with because it would be reckless in other situations to say we have to eliminate all cats that have, you know, an upper respiratory infection. Now, when when we get our our vaccinations for the shot for cats, we get the the FLP and the the FIV and, and those those, but I, I've never heard of Khaleesi. So is that something that they can be vaccinated for? They can be vaccinated for it. Um, and, and there are different um, strains of the vaccine. So it's not as simple as just saying that um, vaccination is because it really depends on what they're getting. And if you don't really know if a kitty is being vaccinated for it, um, it's really when they're kittens that it's going to be the most valuable. So an adult cat later on, you know, they may have already been exposed to it. So it's kind of like the... the you know, the other, the vaccine for children. For, never mind. <laughs> I won't go there. So, um, but if somebody gets a, a kitten, it's a good thing to get the Khaleesi virus vaccination, right? Yeah, it would be something that would be good. Now, it just depends because they may already be exposed. And that's the thing is that okay. they already can come from an environment. So the particular virulent Khaleesi virus strain that I should say is it's not always just that. So cats that get horribly sick from this aggressive form, there's often other things that play a factor. So it can be something like overcrowding, Ah. which causes stress. Um, So by depopulating or adopting out healthier ones, you know, we may be able to maintain a population and allow them to kind of naturally get over the course of infection. Um, But other cats that have this could also have um, panleukopenia, which is kitty distemper, or they can have uh, herpes virus, which is another type of upper respiratory virus in cats. So it, the more things that kind of uh, complicate it, the worse um, mm-hmm. potential. And this is really, the virulent form is really a major problem in shelter situations. It's rarely an issue for the individual home pet, um, unless you're a shelter worker and you bring this home and infect your cats, which can happen. Ah, so that was, this they didn't say that it could have been a breach in protocol at the shelter. Yeah, and but but still, you know, like I said, one in four cats has Khaleesi virus. So it's not as simple as let's test all the cats and say you're negative or positive and you live or you die. Because that really doesn't always 
the testing can be complicated. <laughs> Let me just, I'll simplify it that way. No, so, you know what? The more, the more, um, I'm always looking for clarity on these things, and you help so much. Thank you, Dr. Debbie. The more I learn, the more I, I realize I don't know. So it, it's kind of frustrating. So mm-hmm. thank you so much yeah. for explaining that. Sure. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at animalradio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Okay, you're going to love our next guest. Dr. Norman Gary is a, well, he has a degree in apiculture and i had to look this one up it's the scientific scientific study of honeybees and the management of honeybees did you know that dr debbie yeah you did know actually that. apiculture is is kind of a new area of veterinary medicine and even the conference i'm involved with you know they look at adding in new speakers and content in this realm well so, this, bees are animals this guy <laughs> is a pioneer in this because he started in the 60s also he is a bee wrangler he uh, trained insects to perform in action scenes in movies and on television. How cool is that? Wow, what a job. I, I wonder if they were union bees. <laughs> He's also a musician, and I have a picture of him right here. I'll hold it up to the microphone, playing a clarinet while he is covered in bees. Oh, my oh gosh. gosh. And, and he holds wow. two Guinness World Records for bee stunts. And we welcome to the show Dr. Norman Gary. So many questions. How are you doing, doctor? Fine, thank you. <laughs> Well, I guess the first question that comes to mind is you trained bees for uh, the movies. How? <laughs> How do you do that? Well, I have two ways. One is by food reward. I make a artificial nectar out of sugar syrup with a flavor. They love that, and they will come to uh, sources where, that I, where I offer it. The second one is to... Uh, put an attractive uh, bee pheromone on my target, which can be anybody or anything, and then to release uh, disoriented bees near that target, and they they instinctively uh, go to that uh, fragrance, and they'll cluster all over the uh, subject, whatever it is. Where, Where do you get bee pheromone? I haven't seen it on the shelves at my pet store. And you won't. <laughs> uh, well, I, I did research for many years, and I, I had uh, some uh, specific compounds left over after I retired. And so I just make up a, a, a mixture of several chemicals that uh, are known to be biologically active for bees, and uh, it works beautifully. Now, i got to ask you, Dr. Gary, when you were in this picture where you're playing the the clarinet, you aren't wearing a beekeeper suit, so you're wearing regular clothing with your skin exposed. How are you not getting stung? Well, uh, people don't understand these things. Bees will not sting you when they're away from the hive unless you actually force them by squeezing them or doing something like that. Uh, exception being the Africanized bees, they're different. But So when I, I uh, have these bees in little cages, uh, two or three pounds per cage, I release them in a uh, transparent uh, stage covered with you know glass, and put some pheromone on my uh, clothing and release these disoriented bees. They cluster all over me, and uh, 
I, I do get stung now and then if I make a mistake. For example, if one crawls down my open collar or something and I squeeze it and actually force it to sting. But bees just don't sting when they're away from the hive. And this is something the general public doesn't stand or understand. We are with Dr. Norman Gary. He is a honeybee hobbyist, among other things. And I, I think we all have questions for him. Stick around. Beep's coming. You know what to do. Hey, I'm going to just rip this Band-Aid off. We need to break up. You're just, you're not good for me. I'm always sweaty and uncomfortable around you. And I'm not getting any benefits from this relationship. You're just a basic memory foam mattress. I deserve better. And before you ask, yes, there is someone else. I've been seeing the purple mattress online for a while now. Don't blame yourself. How can you compete with a bed that totally supports me, hugs my pressure points, and sleeps so effortlessly cool? Not to mention the 100-night trial and free shipping. Now that's a bed with benefits. It'll make me feel better than you ever could. Break up with your old mattress and get with the Purple today. Get a $100 store credit with the purchase of a mattress. Just text NICE to 797979 to get your $100 store credit. The only way to get this exclusive offer is to text NICE to 797979. That's N-I-C-E to 797979. Message and data rates may apply up to five messages a month. TNC and privacy policy found at purple.com. Reply help for help or stop to cancel. You're listening to Animal Radio. Find us at animalradio.com. Log on, learn more. It's Animal Radio celebrating the connection with our pets and our honeybees. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Sandy Ward Books. Cozy up with your furry friend and a great read, Something Worth Saving by Sandy Ward is a wonderfully touching and surprisingly funny story of a fiercely loyal cat named Lily and the unbreakable bond she shares with her human. Clever and observant, Lily knows that you don't have to be the biggest or the strongest to fight for the ones you love. You can find something worth saving everywhere books are sold and learn more at sandywardbooks.com. And thanks, guys, for underwriting Animal Radio. Dr. Norman Gary is joining us. He has a degree in apiculture, which is the scientific study and management of honeybees. See, you learned something here on Animal Radio today. So you, you got into Guinness World Book of Records for a couple of bee stunts. What were those? Well, the first one was uh, we were competing to see how many bees we could get clustered on a human being just standing there. It worked beautifully. I think we ended up with around 87 pounds of uh, bees clustered on this person. The second one was uh, trickier. I trained bees to come to uh, Food Reward near where I was seated. And uh, after maybe a thousand or two were collecting the artificial nectar, unloading back at the hive, and returning for additional trips. Then I hid the food reward and substituted uh, a little sponge with the same fragrance and reward, and I put it inside my mouth. So the hungry bees came back. They were circling like crazy and uh, really excited, looking for their, their missing food reward. So I just opened my mouth and gently exhaled. And wow, within about 10 seconds... My mouth was totally full of bees. I closed oh. my lips for, yeah, I closed my lips for the required ten seconds, and then we counted them on the way out. And you'll never guess how many. Uh, I'm gonna guess forty-three. Uh huh. I have a big mouth, lady. <laughs> One hundred and nine. Whoa! <laughs> All at once, Dr. Geary, you talk about um, eighty-seven pounds of bees on you. Wow. How many bees are there per pound? Between uh, around three to 4,000 per pound, depending upon, upon how much uh, 
nectar or honey they have in their little stomachs, they can, their weight can change 30 or 40 percent if they load up on that liquid. Have you ever had a favorite bee? Would they be a good pet? You know, do they recognize you? <laughs> uh, they Bees really don't recognize individual people, and they don't live very long. They only live about five to six weeks in the summertime, so you, you don't form that emo- emotional attachment to them that you would to your pet dog. Well, you have, uh, you, you're living an amazing life. You've done so many things uh, besides the bees. You also have a band called the Bees Knees, a Dixieland <laughs> band. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, we, uh, I, I disbanded this several years back, but we spent many years uh, performing at jazz festivals and uh, retirement homes, and uh, it was such a fun experience. We, have, we released two recordings uh the, the the name bees knees really caught on and there for a while we were really uh number one on the list well so now you're not any longer uh beekeeping should i say is that what you'd say beekeeping yes uh you're beekeeping if you have uh, one hive or more that that you take care of and i i am still beekeeping i've been beekeeping without a break for 70 years oh wow and uh <laughs> yeah i started back in the late 40s when i was about 15 years old so uh, I've done everything for a bee, to a bee, around a bee. I, you know, I've, I've had every kind of experience that's imaginable with bees. I would imagine. So as a representative of the bees, what would you say the message you would like to give humans from the bees? Well, I would like to emphasize that bees are highly beneficial to our society by way of pollinating agricultural crops. Uh, bees actually uh, enable us to produce one-third of the food that humans consume. So uh, we should be thankful to the bees. And right now, bees are in real trouble. We, you've heard about it, I'm sure. Uh, pesticides, uh, parasites, predators, things are really uh, diminishing their population. So uh, there's a great interest now by the general public in trying to help bees where they can. Uh, one way is just by educating yourself uh, and I, I hope I can help out in that regard by uh, making my, my uh, book known, my honeybee hobbyist book that has just been published. Oh, it looks like a great book. I can't wait. I'll tell you what happened is we got a copy here, and, I, you know, sometimes there's thievery around it, here. Yeah, it disappeared. <laughs> it's called Honeybee Hobbyist, The Care and Keeping of Bees. And uh, let, me inter- I, yeah. let me interject something here. Uh, be sure that you request the second edition the one published in 2019 why is there a first edition that is no good yes first edition is is still good it's just that the second edition has a lot more uh has four more chapters that really really are interesting especially something like uh, urban beekeeping that's a hot topic these days it is and you know i have my sister does this and i i it freaks me out frankly <laughs> because i'm caught up in that stereotype that everybody has where i'm afraid of bees that they're going to hurt me but like you see you have to provoke them they're only defending themselves when they sting you right sure if you step on them barefoot uh, when they're on a dandelion flower expect to get stung you you know when you attack them don't they die after they lose their stinger is that true or is that myth that's very true but the irony here and i don't understand what the big guy was thinking when this uh, device that's used to protect you actually kills you well the uh, honeybee colony contains 30 40 50,000 oh. bees 
And, you know, if a half dozen uh, sacrifice their lives gotcha. in defense of the entire colony, then it's very worthwhile, biologically speaking. Okay, taking one for the team is, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. The book is called Honeybee Hobbyist. I have ten copies to give away, nine copies to give away right now. Toll free at one 405 8405 Dr. Gary, thanks so much for spending time with us today. My pleasure. Okay, it's time for us to get on out of here so the next show can get on in here. If you missed any part of this show, listen at animalradio.pet. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. This is Animal Radio Network. Network.